Welcome to Navigating Love and Immigration. I'm your host, Megan Pastrana. Falling in love is exciting. Maintaining a healthy relationship takes work. And when you're going through an immigration process, you are faced with unique challenges. This podcast is for anyone in a cross-cultural relationship who finds themselves lost in the labyrinth of U.S. immigration. We will interview relationship experts, explore the stories of real couples, and provide important tips on starting the next chapter of your lives together. Welcome, everyone. On today's episode, we have a very special guest with us. I know that on all of our social media platforms and our and our clients, everybody is excited to have uh, Kim Eric back. She was with us last year. She's a tax professional and the owner and CEO of Hometime Business Services. Kim is everyone's go-to. That's what I say for tax advice. I like to stay in my zone of genius and Kim's zone of genius is everything to do with taxes. We're here at the start you know, of the year. Busy season for you, right, Kim? And so we're so grateful <laughs> that you're here with us to share your expertise. We've, we have a ton of questions from everyone about taxes, and it just has that huge overlap with immigration. So thank you so much for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Megan. Um, you know, it's always good to be fully knowledgeable when you're going into taxes, because let's be honest, the IRS can be scary. Yep. And so can immigration. Does, and then when you have two government agencies that can be scary, it's so important to be educated and informed. And so we're so excited to have you here. Uh, we have a, a flurry of questions. And so we can really just dive into the very first one. Do I need to include my spouse on my taxes if we are married? And what are the benefits of filing jointly? Sure. So once you're married, the IRS says you're married. So you have your choice of filing either married jointly or married separately. The benefit of filing jointly is going to be that there's a lot of of credits that are excluded if you file separately. For instance, your um, student loan interest So that's just one of the many, um, but there are so many benefits of filing uh, jointly. And most of my clients, you know, the savings can be anywhere from, you know, a thousand to a couple thousand by filing jointly versus separately. Yeah. And I think for, I, I told everyone I'd throw in some immigration things that overlap. And immigration will be looking for this, just like uh, the IRS, that if you're married, you're you're doing things as a married couple would do. And so immigration will be looking for that in terms of relationship evidence. Plus, then on the other side, you have those, those benefits. And that same vein, for individuals who aren't, we had a question about, you know, if individuals are going through an immigration process and they're engaged kind of in that, in that limbo, not legally married. But they're providing a lot of times, though, the U.S. citizen will be providing financial support for their fiance and and future stepchildren. Mm -hmm. And this individual wanted to know, you know, can they be dependents yet if they provide financial support? So the IRS has a a really um, neat test to do with this. And basically, you have to be providing more than 50 percent of someone's support. So. This can be a spouse or a a fiance. This can be a relative. This could be your parent. Um, So a lot of people uh, forget that there's, you know, maybe some other people out there that do qualify definitely as a dependent, but there's definitely a dependent test that needs to be uh, done. Very uh, 
documented uh, like everything else in our world. And uh, so if, if it does come out where you are providing uh, that more than 50% of their support, then yeah, absolutely. We can list them as a dependent on the return. And I'm guessing the answer will be yes, but I, I'm throwing this out there just from what I've seen before. Individuals who try to maybe do their own and they don't fully understand that test and they include people who are dependents that aren't technically qualified, what are the ramifications? I'm kind of throwing in an extra question. Um, so if you didn't actually go through that test and, and they don't qualify, the ramification is the IRS when they potentially audit you and they ask for that documentation and proof and you can't provide it, they're gonna redo your tax return without mm -hmm. them. And you're going to have interest and uh, penalties for uh, that difference in the amount that they overpaid you essentially. Okay, so I mean, it's, it's, it's a really great benefit. And as long as you meet the test, that's definitely something to consider, but making sure on the other side too, that you really do, that you meet that test to not have other mm -hmm. issues. So that's really great. I'm, and that was really um, a really interesting question. And I was interested to learn that, that as well. Uh, we've seen individuals who will have, they will have filed their taxes or, and they've listed married head of household. And we have found that, that they maybe had done it on their own and then they hire a tax professional like you to find out that wasn't accurate. So can you tell us a little bit more about when can or should someone file as married head of household? So there's no such thing as married head of household. <laughs> so you're either married or you're not. So when you're married, you can file married joint or married separate. When you're single, and you have a dependent, you can file head of household. So unmarried uh, people can either file single or head of household. So there is no such thing as married head of household. Okay, thank you for clarifying that. It seems to be, and I know you, you clarified that from the rumor mill last year, <laughs> yeah. but that's always kind of, I don't know if that previously ever existed, but it just seems to be a, a question that I see that resurfaces that's out there. So thank you for... Unfortunately, I see it on returns too of, of people who have, have done them. Um, I hate to say this, but TikTok is not the IRS and is <laughs> not a good source <laughs> of tax advice. You really need to talk to a tax professional and by that, you know, usually those that are, are posting and professing to be Ask them what their site is from the IRS on that. That's a really and good point. they can't point. provide it, they're probably not maybe giving you the best advice. Um, so the IRS actually has a tool uh, where you can, you know, figure out what you should be when you file. Awesome. Yeah, maybe we'll throw that uh, that tool in our, our comment section on social media and things like that. Yeah. I think it's a really, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I think the internet and all of the resources that are available, I mean, at our fingertips, it's just really, it's been a great evolution. It's great technology, but TikTok also is not a good source for immigration, <laughs> legal advice. <laughs> a lot of those things can be a, a nice starting point, but I think the caution is it's not ever going to be a substitute for, you know, tax experts advice or an immigration attorney's advice. It's always important to go to an expert because every case is, is different. So I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, and, and the same thing goes with, with taxes. Every person's uh, situation is different. And yeah, it's not a one-size size of, of clients that I spoke with last year was when I asked them about their foreign bank accounts. 
So the IRS like wants to know where all your money is. So you're going to have to provide your foreign bank accounts, your highest balance during the year, things like that, which is, you know, a little intrusive, you know? <laughs> but it's not my role. <laughs> I'm just the messenger. Like, yeah. <laughs> I think uh, there's just so many great uh, parallels with, with taxes and immigration. They say that those are both the most complex bodies of, of law. And there are mm -hmm. always things that people are shocked that immigration and, and the IRS uh, want to know. But yeah, that's, that's just the reality is it's a little invasive and it, but it's important, you know, as a citizen, you have all kinds of amazing rights and then responsibilities. So on both sides of that, yeah. that cued me up too for this question of what if someone has a spouse that lives outside of the United States who doesn't have a social security number yet? I, I know you said earlier, yes, you should include your spouse if you're married, but if that individual is an, an, an individ individual as a citizen of another country, there's a rumor out there. It's not even possible to include that person on your taxes as your spouse. So can you shed some light on that? I bet you they rumored that on TikTok <laughs> or YouTube so, University. <laughs> yeah, just because you saw it on the internet doesn't make it true. So, um, no, it is true that you can't file your taxes without an identifying number. So, the IRS has made a provision for an ITIN or an individual taxpayer identification number. And you qualify for that to apply for that number if you are the spouse of a citizen. Why? Because you need to file your spouse on your tax return because of all of the advantages of that. So there's a little bit of a downfall to that, though, Megan, um, because with that, um, your ITIN application is a W-7, and that has to be certified. So there are places in the United States um, called certified acceptance agencies. So basically, these are people who are designed to inspect your tax documentation or your uh, identification uh, to say that, yes, this is that person that's signing and applying and their paperwork appears to not be fake passports or <laughs> what have you. And um, and then they are able to um, do that. There's also IRS offices who can do this. And the other option is that you can send uh, your original documents. Don't do that. Oh, gosh, don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> uh, to the IRS and mail it to them and let it be in their loads and loads of mail. Don't, don't do that. So it really is best to be able to maybe travel to the states and get that um, acceptance done while you're here for that ITIN application. Um, I don't know if there are people potentially in your country who are uh, eligible to sign off on that uh, form, but then your return is actually mailed in as well. So it can't be electronically filed when you're doing that application. Okay. And so um, for individuals who are United States citizens and live in the, the U.S., then that makes it a, a little, you know, a little easier. I know some yeah. are living abroad. So kind of a follow up to that that just came to my mind is how soon can you apply for this, this I-10? Is that something you can do proactively before tax season or does it have to be done simultaneously? It's done as part of your tax return. Yeah. Okay. So unfortunately, it's not necessarily something 
for tax purposes only that you would do in advance. Okay, well, that's good to know. I mean, here we are in, in tax season, and I know everyone's asking too for their immigration case, they're going to have to provide updated tax returns. So perfect time to, to start working on that process. And Megan, just so you know, I am not a certified acceptance agent, so I cannot actually do that part. I can fill out the forms and you can take it to that IRS office or you can take it to that uh, certified acceptance agency. But again, that's not a service that we offer. Yeah, thanks for clarifying. And and I mean, that's yeah. kind of comparable to part of the immigration process. Individuals have to get a certified medical exam from a civil surgeon. So, you know, a lot of these processes take multiple, it takes a village, right? So thank you yeah. for clarifying that. And yeah. I know you've that's been really helpful that you've been able to do that for individuals and fill out the paperwork and give them guidance mm-hmm. to their next steps. And I that's but a lot of a lot of the certified acceptance agencies do offer tax services. So sometimes you can get an all in one. Okay, well that's good. Yeah, that's good sometimes. to know. Yeah, but if not, you just have a, you know, a couple people in your corner that help you get through it. And so I think you've kind of alluded to this really already with it was kind of two parts, but if the spouse yeah. doesn't have the social security number, you're going to do that I10 at the same time. So, okay. Kind of jumping back to an earlier question, we've had we've had individuals that they realize um, either from last year or or just you know n- now, what if they realize, oh, I had no idea that I could file my taxes jointly with my spouse and get this ITIN number. Mm-hmm. I, I thought I had to wait until they had a social security number. So can a person go back and amend prior tax filings? You can. Um, is it always advisable? Well, you know, um, there's a cost to that. So you're you're typically, you know, going to be paying a professional unless if you're going to try to figure out how to file an amended return on the tax software that you use. And then again, you're going to be applying for that ITIN as part of that process, unless if they have already now received their social or their to go back and amend. Um, so it's always not, it's not the best option, but yeah, it is an option. Um, but like I said, sometimes it is not the most cost-effective option. So my advice to people is, yes, you should do that because that is the by the books, you know, you should file an accurate tax return. However, like I said, there's a cost to that. So you have to uh, weigh the benefit. Uh, to that. And obviously, on Megan's side, she's going to always say, yes, there's a benefit to that from an immigration standpoint, I'm sure, uh, because you're showing that you're acting as the married couple. Uh, From the IRS standpoint, you're actually filing an accurate return by amending. So again, you ask that question of like, well, what happens when we get caught later on, right? Mm-hmm. Well, in this case, it actually may work to your favor because you're going to have a higher standard deduction. So you may see a little bit of a refund as well. Yeah, and that's a good point because that is that is definitely always going to be my advice. And then it's also and talk to a tax professional about that. But yeah, on both sides, having the being in compliance with the IRS and immigration, that's that's definitely a good thing. And so if it maybe uh, mm-hmm. there's a cost to it. At least you're making sure you're following rules and, and you know, maybe you'll get a, a kickback, like you said. So really good advice there. You kind of talked about this, too, with the foreign bank accounts. We have a lot of individuals, U.S. citizens, expats living in, in other countries for work mm-hmm. and things like that. And that's great. 
but then there's maybe a rumor out there that, well, if I'm living abroad, I don't have to, to file taxes. And then they fall in love and get ready to start an immigration process to find out, oh, immigration needs my taxes. And oh, <laughs> maybe I was supposed to file with the IRS. So can you tell us if you're working abroad, if you're living abroad, are you still required to file taxes? Yes. <laughs> so the, the, the United States always wants their money. That's how they collect their money from, from their taxpayers. So if you're a citizen, they're expecting a tax return from you. Now, with that said, there are countries with tax treaties with the United States, where if you are taxed in that other country, you can get a credit toward your U.S. tax and vice versa. So the question of, you know, do I need to file? Yeah, but it may be zero, you know, but but just to keep in compliance and let the, you know, let the government know like, hey, I'm, I'm trying to do what I'm supposed to do, but, you know, I'm working abroad. Everything is excluded of what I'm doing currently. And that could be the case. So, I, I mean, I've seen people that have you know, are in a spot where there is that tax treaty in place. And, and so any income earned there is, is not counted. Yeah, we've seen that. Um, we've seen that a lot. Yeah, where because what usually will happen is then the person gets ready to petition someone and then immigration wants to uh, see that the person is what they call domiciled, which means you're a citizen of the U.S. and your home is the U.S. And so filing taxes shows you're domiciled and is required. And um, a lot of times, you know, the individual will feel overwhelmed. Oh my gosh, how much am I going to owe? And we, a lot of times we will see that there's a tax treaty in place and it's, you know, again, to reiterate, it's good to be in compliance with the IRS and immigration. So you, <laughs> your life can be a little and, easier. You know, you can also live in the United States, but be employed by a foreign company. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of different you know, scenarios that can happen. And, you know, we're, we're in a global economy. It's, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't like back when, you know, you and I were kids and, you know, mm -hmm. no, no one did that. <laughs> yeah. It's a completely yeah. different landscape, but yeah, it's exciting. And, but still there's going to really, it'll really impact maybe the way your taxes look and they do, they look, they look, you know, different a lot of times when we, we see them, but um, making sure you're in compliance is, and that's a really good point. People, we do, we have a lot of individuals who are, yeah, employed for other companies in other countries. And Megan, I, I will tell you, you know, when you're looking for a tax professional, ask those questions. Have you ever done a tax return with foreign income or with foreign bank accounts? Some tax preparers specialize in trusts and trust accounting, and, and that's all they do. They do trust ones or nonprofits or business returns. And then there's others that, you know, are maybe more of a generalist and yeah, they've seen that and they've seen this and, you know, and then there are companies out there, believe it or not, who make their whole living on expats and, and foreign income and, and these types of situations. So when you ask that question, you're just doing yourself a favor in figuring out, is this the right professional for me? Mm -hmm. um, and call around and, and interview two or three, you know, you, you probably didn't hire Megan as the first call, you know, <laughs> as yeah. often as she is, because, you know, let's be honest, this is a big part of your life. And, you know, the professional that you're working with, you know, can, can make or break your, your tax return, unfortunately. So just because they have the name CPA or enrolled agent or, 
tax professional or tax in their business name, you know, sometimes people specialize in different areas. The tax code is humongous, guys. So um, specializing just helps people to stay in their line. You know, imagine if Megan was trying to do um, immigration law and business law and wills and trust and, you know, criminal investigation and, and patent law and you know, there's so many different aspects of law, too, where you just don't become the expert if you haven't seen those. Yeah, I love I love that additional advice. And I and I know you do that professionally and we do that at immigration for couples, too, is, you know, telling people it doesn't hurt our feelings. I think it's really important that you get two or three opinions. Mm-hmm. It is. It's your life. And to make sure you're finding a service provider that's in alignment with your specific situation. Um, and you, there are, there are generalists, like you said, that kind of dabble in a whole lot of things. And, you know, the tax code is, it's huge, it's complex. So is immigration. And, and frankly, with the, um, with immigration, it's such a huge, it's just, it's a huge horizon of all kinds of different, you know, there's humanitarian employment and we've actually niched into the family sphere into just couples so we can stay apprised of all of the developments. And I know you do that as well. So that's, oh, that's, that's you know, it is, it's, it's such great advice. And, you know, think about it. If you were getting your kitchen remodeled, who are you going to a cabinet specialist or, <laughs> you know, a kitchen, kitchen and bath guy, or, yeah, you, know, you know, the handyman, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of does it all. Uh, depends on what you're looking for as your end product. So again, it's it's just about knowing and asking those questions. And you're not being invasive. You're interviewing who you want as your professional in your life. You know, and this is, you know, typically a tax client stays with a person for at least seven years or, you know, and that's on average. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you think about it, you're interviewing for a long-term process typically. Yeah, uh, yeah, both on the uh, on, on immigration and on on a tax side, mm-hmm. and I think yeah, this really is it's really great advice. That makes me happy. I know that makes you happy too. When people will say, "Oh, I'm you know I'm overwhelmed. Have you seen this before?" And then yeah, I mean this is you know this is what we we focus in. We're yeah. experts in this. I've seen it, and then yeah, if you if you have somebody who's seen that and can guide you and can be proactive and and know you know, what to, what's, yeah. what lies ahead and not have to research and wonder like you. That's so important. So I'm so glad. I'm really glad you mentioned that. I, I know that there, this question comes up. It happens every year, especially for people going through immigration and they realize, oh my gosh, I haven't filed my taxes for whatever mm-hmm. reason, because I was living and working abroad. What, what can the person do? Are they still able to file and get that taken care of? You can definitely still file. Um, so the IRS uh, has what's called open years. Um, so basically that's the last three years. So this year we can file 2022, 21 and 20 electronically. Anything going back further than that, that's all by paper. But yeah, you would want to be in compliance. The IRS can go back indefinitely if you haven't filed. So even if you don't have a, a filing requirement, you still may want to file just to have that ticking clock, <laughs> um, you know, start on that, so to speak. So um, I think the most I've ever done has been like seven years for a person. Um, we do the the three open years to like, quote unquote, be in compliance and let the IRS come back and say, you know, hey, we need the older ones too. 
And sometimes, you know, we'll just go through and, and do that. So there's a process to that. Um, you know, we'll pull tax transcripts. Sometimes the IRS uh, does what's called a substitute return and they file one for you. And if they think that they owe you a refund, they're like, that's good enough. We'll just keep your money. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that is a potential that happens as well. And if you're due money from the IRS and it's not an open year, you lost out on that refund. Wow. Yeah. I've heard yeah. individuals who've mentioned that too, after, you know, speaking with you or another tax professional that they thought, oh, darn, I really should have filed them because I, I lost, I lost that, but it's good to know yeah. you can still go back. So we had someone ask because they were living abroad and then someone who thought, you know, that they had maybe filed for whatever reason, is it, I'm guessing it is probably a similar answer, regardless of whether you live outside of the U.S., were working abroad or, or you were here in the U.S. Yeah. So, I mean, your first step would be to um, set up an account at IRS.gov for yourself and, and pull your tax transcripts. There's four different transcripts that are going to be on there when you log in. You're going to have an account transcript, which shows kind of money in and money out of the, the IRS. Um, you're going to have your tax return transcript, which is basically what you file. Uh, you're going to have a wage and income transcript, which is what other people have reported as your uh, income to be reported on your return. And then there's another one that's uh, in a, a, an account transaction type of one that is kind of a hybrid of, of the other two. So, Okay. And so that's that online account. And then you can also do it by mail too, but I think you can only get the transcript and then like the, the account. The wage and income transcript, right. yeah. Okay. Um, so a lot of times if you're going to need to order them and you're going to need to file your taxes because you don't have your old W-2s or stuff, uh, you can actually request them to be what's called unmapped, which means that they're going to show the full uh, EIN of your employer or full EIN of the bank. Um, which your tax professional will eventually need. So they'll be truly grateful to you if you order them unmasked. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. And so you can only do that through that online portal on the IRS then. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. That's a really, really amazing tip. I didn't, I hadn't heard about the unmasked because, well, and, and frankly, I'm surprised you every time, Megan, every time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I always learn something new from you. And I I mean, but frankly, when we have clients that, you know, they say, oh my gosh, I can't find my W-2s, you know, send them your way or send them to, you know, talk, have them talk to a tax professional because immigration wants that W-2. But I we do know that if you aren't, then you can get those tax transcripts and there's certain other documents, alternative documents that immigration will accept. So that's a really great. Yeah. So great un tip. unmasked is going to probably put you in a better position for, for what you're looking for as well. Okay. All right. Unmasked. Good to know. I'm so, I'm always so grateful for uh, all your <laughs> expertise and, and advice. So thank you so much for being here with us today and answering everyone's uh, questions. Did you have any final advice? I mean, you've given us so much, but. I guess as, as a parting word of advice, don't be as afraid of the IRS. A lot of times when, when people come to me and they're like, Oh, you know, I've always filed on my own and I, I feel like I have a good handle of it. You know, 
there are a lot of cases where I'm like, yeah, you can file this on your own, you know, just make sure that, you know, you're putting your foreign assets in and make sure you're doing it. And then you see the wheels turning, like, I don't know how to do that in that software program. So, you know, that, that first year, that second year, maybe even, and then you have the tax return to look at, to make sure <laughs> when you're filing down the street that it, you know, and you want to try to, you know, get back a handle of it, of doing it yourself. You have a great starting point to look at and compare as well. So, you know, it's not necessarily that, you know, you're you're going to be stuck always having to use a tax professional when you're used to doing it on your own. If you have simple, both of you end up with W-2 jobs, um, you do have a foreign bank account still, you can totally file that tax return on your own. But I don't recommend that your first year. And that's just, um, you know, with anything, there are returns that are simpler than others. But if you add in self-employment, if you add in the foreign bank accounts, all of these are layers of complexity that you add into your tax return. So the more forms that you have showing up on your doorstep, (laughs) um, (laughs) usually indicates that you're at the point of your life where you need a tax professional. And again, make sure you're interviewing them to make sure that they are the right person. You can go into, and and we'll just pick on any big box type of uh, tax preparer, okay? (laughs) And we, we, we all know their names, right? But you can go into this one and you can go into the one five blocks down and go into the same exact franchise and ask these questions. And at one place, you're going to maybe get, yeah, we, you know, we've dealt with them before. or Yeah, we have someone in our office that knows that part. And you're going to go into the other one and you're going to kind of get like the stumbling of words <laughs> because they don't know. Yeah. So it it doesn't have anything to do with, you know, you need an individual versus a big box versus a, you just need to ask the question. So that's my parting advice. Ask the questions of your professionals. How can they help you? What do they have experience with? Because that is going to just set you up into the best position possible to make sure that you're not having to later amend your returns because that professional didn't do it right. Unfortunately, I've had to amend returns that professionals have done. And I, you look at them and you just shake your head like, how, how did they do this disservice to their client? Mm. Yeah, that's really good advice. I think, yeah, just to make sure that you're really thoroughly vetting that, that, that expert in whatever realm in your life that's going to be helping you to make sure it really is in alignment. Because the idea is we all have the same limited amount of time every day, every week, every every year. And yeah. you don't want to teach yourself tax and also you don't want to have stress of doing it yourself. It's really important to have an expert on your side. So thank you again uh, for being with us again this year and for sharing all of your wisdom. We're, we're so grateful um, for your time. And uh, hopefully everybody got a ton of, of uh, nuggets of wisdom. I know I did. So uh, thank you all so much for watching. 